Hour number two of the Hoffman Show on the Team 980. Always live as well on the free Odyssey app. Catch us live every day, the whole show. I would typically say all three hours, but on a day like today, we're done after 2.45 because the Wizards play tonight and pregame starts at 6.45. Uh, But the show always streaming live on YouTube as well at the Team 980. That a relevant piece of information considering Never Read the Comments is coming up at 5.30. However, at 5 o'clock, you know it is time for Not My Beat. Today's top story from the perspective of someone who's there. You are looking live. This just in. Not My Beat. All right, for today's Not My Beat, how about a little take command? How about Logan Paulson's breakdown of the film defensively? And obviously, Uh, it's not good what we saw against the Dallas Cowboys. So we tried to put it in perspective in terms of the bigger picture of why that was the icing on the cake, the the straw, or I guess really the straw that broke the camel's back in terms of Jack Del Rio being dismissed. And here's just part of our conversation from the Take Command podcast. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Take Command podcast from Odyssey Sports. I'm Craig Hoffman. He is Logan Paulson, and um, we are so sorry. We are going to go over the film of the Cowboys game. <laughs> what did I text you, man? I said, are we going to do a film review? <clears throat> because I didn't really yeah, want to watch the and, film again. Nope, you didn't. But um, here's here's how we're going to do this to make this, um, I don't know, palatable, make it uh, Relevant. more re- relevant. a good word. Relevance the the correct word, even. Um, we're going to look at the offense through the lens of like, how is Sam doing, right? That is the yeah. most important question. So what's the offense doing for Sam? What is Sam doing for the offense? Uh, as we start kind of the evaluation process of looking forward to the offseason and figuring out exactly what they've got in Ashburn for this team. Defensively, we're going to look at why they fired Jack Del Rio uh, for, like, for, for lack of a, a, a more you know, delicate way to put that. Um, but like, what are the problems that happened in Dallas that were the end of the snowball where Ron Rivera decided afterwards, like this, this is the end. We can't do this anymore. Um, and, and in fact, Logan, because that is probably the bigger headline, let's start there. So they give up, you know, over 400 yards. They, they, there's inevitability that, that there was to it. It just felt like no matter what Dallas was going to score, there's no better example of this than their first touchdown drive. They start in the shadow of their own end zone. They complete this beautiful ball from Dak to Ferguson down the seam over the outstretched arms of Cody Barton. They pick up a couple of penalties on that drive. They overcome them. And it's one of those drives that, like, in net yardage, they might have had over 100 yards in net yardage on right. that drive because they they have, uh, you know, penalty yards, and then they they overcome that, and they ultimately wind up in the end zone. And that's the kind of day it was, and that's the kind of days that they've been having. So – when you watch the tape, like what more does it tell you than the, the sheer numbers and the production already told us? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, gosh, man, where to start? So, like in the first half of this game, man, like, you know, I, I chart, I've said it every week, I chart red and green. Right. This is the most red that I've charted in the first half ever this season, right? It just, guys not in good position, guys not making plays, like, and it, it's tough, man. It was, it was a tough watch in the first half, so there wasn't a lot of good there, and I just... You know, and it's funny because I don't think guys are this is this is something interesting, and this is like one of the great paradoxes of watching this defense is I don't think the guys are bad. I think you've got good football players, I think you've got instinctive football players. 
I'm just, every time I'm watching it, I'm like, is this guy in a good position to be successful? Right. So like I'm, I, we were texting a little bit over the weekend and there's a play where it's, um, you know, it's, it's this duo run, right. And it looks like Casey's supposed to have outside contain. And then, um, the guy runs for eight yards and, to me, it's like, is he, does he actually have outside contain here or is it the safety? And if the safety is supposed to have outside contain, why is he playing so deep? And it's just this really weird, every play is kind of like that, you know, where it's like, is this guy doing what he's supposed to do? Yes. And is he playing with correct technique? Maybe. But is that the, is that, is that maximizing what he does? And I think like when you watch the first half, I thought on the first drive, they did a good job getting off the field on third down in the first quarter. Like they got a little bit lucky, right? They had a uh, overthrow by Dak, which kind of sets it up. But, you know, 29 has a nice, um, nice coverage on the first third down there where, you know, he's in good phase. Everyone's covered up and you're like, okay, there's a good man to man down. But then you go to the next play and that, that's the, that's the sequence that starts that long drive. That first and 10, you talk about that Cody Barton play. First off, mm-hmm. kudos to Dallas. Like I just love when I see like fun offensive wrinkles. And again, we talked about how Dallas doesn't have like a ton of offensive wrinkles, but I thought this was pretty cool. Like they get in like a kind of a bunch, it's a tight trips and they run all go special. Right. And what I love about it is they had the slot receiver act like he's crossing. And so Cody has to settle for a second because the eyes are, are on this crossing route and then that, right. that guy kind of bounces back out and runs the, the vertical seam and it's enough to get cody out of phase with the tight end and again dak delivers a perfect ball but right love that and he's not even wrinkle. that far out of phase like right you know that's one of those where it's like it seems like a commander special where it's the ball's one inch over a guy's right. head and you know dak dak just puts that ball on a perfect trajectory because if he lofts it like the safeties are there cody's in good position if it under throw it's a pick and instead, it just perfectly in the in the tight end's arms. Yeah, and I think um, you know, you know, we talked about Cody right there. Like, obviously, that's a tough play for him. But I think a guy, you know, we talk about guys building for the future or guys that had good games. Like Cody was a guy that stood out to me as a guy that played really well. I thought he did some really good stuff in coverage. You know, he's a good phase with receivers. I thought he made some nice fits in the run game. So I think a guy that deserves a little bit of a shout out as a guy that played consistent football and was graded pretty well by PFF. So I feel comfortable kind of saying that the next play again the next play golly we could do this all day but the next play is frustrating right they're in a cover two they've got a seven-man box it's an eight-man blocking surface in those blocking surfaces when you are playing two usually you do some type of scrape you do like a because you're accounting for you're short a gap right if you have eight blockers and seven defenders you're short a gap so what they'll do is they'll stunt the d-line and then they'll 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 position the linebackers in a way where you're trying to get that will linebacker to be free and so they run like basically a lead with the fullback and Jamin thinks he's got to spill it to Cody, but Cody also spills the fullback. They're both hitting the fullback essentially. And then they'll get the back bounces it out. So it's like somebody screwed that up. I don't know if Jamin's supposed to pick the, pick the fullback and Cody's supposed to scrape or Jamin's supposed to pick the fullback. Cody's supposed to scrape. And then, um, and then Kalik is supposed to scrape all the way over the top. I don't know. But again, that's a classic example of what are you supposed to be doing? Because I, I can see shades of a correct thing here, but obviously it's not the correct thing. And I think that's something you and I talked about quite a bit is, are you, is, is there just too much in? Like, because, you know, right. they're, they're in cover two, they run cover three, they play a little bit of man, they play six. And are you just not good at, are you just not maximizing those downs, you know, because you've got too much stuff right. going on. And I just feel like every single play until the third quarter had shades of that going on with it. So. 
Yeah, no, and I think that's the thing where, to me, it does reflect back on coaching um, as opposed to, like, oh, these players just aren't whatever. And, you know, this is a bit of a sidebar, but we're going to take it real quick. I actually think that there, we have crossed a Rubicon of uh, talk about this defense that is uh, wrong. Like, I think people have gone from, at the beginning of the year, this is a talented group that's underperforming. Why can't they get more out of this team to, like, actually, we overrated the talent. This team, this, there's not actually that many good players on this defense. And I just think that's, like, I just think that's wrong. Yeah. Um, because, like, I don't think John Allen is suddenly not a very good football player, not an impactful football player when used correctly. Deron Payne, same thing. Like, Jamin Davis, uh, you know, I think is shown that he's a very productive football player yeah. when he's in good positions. Um, you know, I don't think Benjamin St. Juice can't play in the NFL. He can't be a number one corner in the NFL in this scheme. That's for sure. But like it's it, it they've taken players who we know have talent, who we know are good um, and and made them so that they're not like they're negatively productive so that they actively hurt the team. And so I I. I think that's what I'm so fascinated by by these next couple of weeks uh, to kind of finish the sidebar before we get back to you know this game is if Ron super simplifies the scheme and it's like let's get aligned let's make sure everyone is clear on like one thing they're supposed to do or two things a pass a pass responsibility and a run responsibility very very clear go play and we right. might not have all the best answers for everything but at least everyone will be on the same page I want to see how many guys played better. Because yeah. that is really what these last couple of weeks are about is like, how do you evaluate the talent that you have? And I think in order to do that, you have to allow them to play fast and free. Now, I think part of the evaluation for the next, you know, GM and the next personnel group is like, okay, well, we know we can't put them in something super complex. Like there are certain guys who can't handle it. And as they talk to players and kind of understand what happened, that's going to be part of the discussion. But I also just wonder like, did, did the coaching staff not either not respond to a couple of key guys in key places who messed up the communication or who couldn't handle the bigger load compared to some of the guys that have been here in the past? Or was it coached so poorly from a detail standpoint um, that you that you have a bunch of confusion? And to get back to the tape, um, like there's there's a play that happens. Was it Jamin, the one that you sent me that? Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, it was Jamin, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. where it's like, he should, they want him to do this, it would seem, but also based off alignment and where his eyes are supposed to go, he should be going the other way. Right. And it's like, sure, if afterwards on tape, if you're like, hey man, you need to, you need to back off into this slant throwing window, but during the install period, it's like, hey, because you have a four week on this side, your eyes need to be going here. Right. And you taught him two different things at different times. No wonder guys are confused. And that's what it feels like has happened a lot. I know that was long-winded, but I hope people understand that the main takeaway here is that you do have talented players, um, but they were often put in conflicting situations or unclear situations. And that is why ultimately Jack Del Rio is not here. Yeah, and I think like, you know, I think that's a great point. I think when you watch Dallas, it's like the total Dallas's defense, it's a total it's the total opposite of what the commander's defense is. It's a group that they're extremely confident. And, you know, are they always playing with perfect technique? Do they drop guys in coverage? Yeah. But they're playing fast, they're playing confident. They know what they're doing, they know what their defensive identity is. And I think maybe the most important thing coming out of this game is they that coverage group is so so incredibly tied with the rush it's like they are they're inseparable 
And I think like they trust the rush so much in Dallas because they can, right? That's the group that's number one in pressures in the NFL, right? They got guys like Micah Parsons. And you say, well, why are they so good? It's not Micah Parsons winning one-on-ones down in and down out. It's Dan Quinn and that defensive staff. I don't want to give Dan all the credit because I don't know how it goes there. But I know Dan's a smart guy. I know he's a former defensive line coach. And they are constantly looking for matchups and games and ways to create pressure with four, with five, with matchup, that there's a hunger and a desire. And we've talked about that that passion for perfection with regards to Kyle's offense and how they hunt for angles in the run game or McDaniels. You know, I started my, uh, my Miami prep last night and it's, it's a scary proposition, man, because that group is, they're starving for maximizing their guys. And when you watch Dallas, you see that. And I think that's something that I had a conversation with somebody the other day and I think Micah Parsons is excellent. I think he's an excellent football player, but I am pretty confident that if you put him in this scheme, I don't know if he's he's like a 15 sack guy. I think he might be a 9 to 11 sack guy. Because when you just say, "Hey, win a one-on-one versus, you know, Lane Johnson, Jordan Mailata, name your tackle." It it doesn't happen. Even like when you watch like Nick Bosa, like I do a lot of D-line study. When you watch Nick Bosa and you're saying, "Hey, win win a one-on-one versus Lane Johnson." He doesn't do it cuz Lane Johnson's that good. But the reason Micah gets so many advantages, he's he's lined up against Tyler Larson for 20% of his snaps today. Oh, he's lined up against Chris Paul for a couple. Oh, he's 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 on a crazy looping stunt where he's completely unblocked. That passion allows them this great coverage dexterity in the back end. And there are times in this game where we have to call attention to the fact that the coverage is good. Like there's a play, I forget, the, I think it's the third quarter. Kendall Fuller is in two-man. It's third and 11 or third and 12. He undercuts the dig. He plays the two-man perfectly. The rush doesn't get home. Dak extends the play. The receiver uncovers it into being a play, big play, and everyone's like, oh, my gosh, Kendall's terrible, blah, blah, blah. But that's the rush. That's not being disciplined with the rush. And I think right. like that, even when the coverage was good, like good, like winning coverage, the rush wasn't there. And I can't be mad at the rush because they are literally like, hey, line up in the same position every single time and rush the passer. And I just think that is that's an unrealistic expectation in the NFL. Look at all of the teams that with top flight pass rushers. Miles Garrett, TJ Watt, Nick Bosa, name your guy. They are finding ways to maximize those guys, right? They play techniques, they play a defensive scheme that allows them to be aggressive. And you mentioned um, you know, Payne and Allen and all these guys. I think there's a reason that they're not being overly successful is because they're literally just in it's like win this one on one. Win it. And if yeah. you can't win it, like, what are we paying you for? And I don't think that's entirely fair. And so I think that, to me, was the big, like, seeing Dallas do the, it. There's, the lack of pressure was crazy in this yeah. game. Like, it was the, this was probably the worst pass rush game that they've had. And they've had some ineffective games, but there's been, t- like, New England, I don't hold against them because while Mac is terrible at basically everything else, he gets rid of the ball quickly. And they, like, they were pretty good about creating, like, pressures in the context of that, yeah. right? Here, they're just it just felt like Dak had a full pocket all day. I mean, they had 14 pressures in the game right. by uh, PFF's number. Like, that's nothing. Yeah, That's nothing when you watch week to week in this league. And I think the other thing you see there is, like, there's not a lot of third downs. There's not a lot of third and longs. There's not a lot of opportunities for them to rush. And so you get guys, like, there's a play where they're in drop eight and Casey Twohill's in a four-eye. Andre Jones is in a four-eye. And they're looping out into this drop eight. And so there's no conceivable way that I expect them to win a rush where they're lined up over the guard. 
they got to get outside the tackle and then start their rush. Like that's just, they're not going to win. Right. And the, whoever's playing those is not going to win. Cause the second those guys leave, they're going to double team down on the nose and you're going to have this beautiful pocket. And that's what happens. And I think that's something that really, you know, Ron said in his presser, he's like, we're going to try and find ways to create more pressure with four, get better angles with four. And I think there's something to that. Like I also coach offensive line. And one of the things that's tough about line stunts is you coach this, this pass protection angle. And when you deviate the angle, that's when it gets really complicated. You know, when I'm, when I'm changing my approach and they just don't do that a lot here. And it's, and it's tough. And we talked about this in the preview show. One of the things that's really definitive to me is that this offensive line is good. They are good in Dallas. Yeah. And so what happens when you get a good offensive line is you got to do something to elevate. And I thought there were some times where they, they, they made good pressures. Jamin Davis did an excellent job blitzing, creating pressure, but she did it three times out of 54 snaps. And that's just not effective, I don't think. So I think that yeah. was that was the big takeaway for me is we can go through every single play, but there's going to be plays where you're like, man, coverage was good, rush was bad, or the rush was good, coverage was bad. And they just never got synced in the way. And it was so nice to watch Dallas, to watch how they do it, because you're like, that's the gold standard for how these groups should be working together. Yeah. All right, that from Take Command, which you can check out in full. More thoughts on the defense, uh, the coverage side of things, uh, a little bit more specifically, and then uh, some thoughts on the offense and how it's progressing in the full episode of Take Command, which is available now. Tomorrow, uh, we will talk to Mark Schlereth on Take Command. We'll air that for you probably tomorrow and then some of the Miami preview on Friday here on the radio. But, of course, if you want the full thing on your schedule on demand, that's what podcasts are for, and you can check it out uh in your favorite podcast app uh and in fact if you uh anthony are you you're an apple music guy right not a not a spotify guy apple music baby uh so you don't do the spotify wrapped because spotify wrapped dropped today does that uh detail basically your everything year you listen review? to yeah yeah your year interview does apple do that too yes we ours dropped as well I, i've been seeing a lot of people post theirs okay um so spotify wrapped is out apple whatever is out and so if either the Hoffman Show podcast or Take Command is in your top podcast, screenshot that, send it to me. Tag me on Instagram, at Craig underscore Hoffman. We'd love to share some of those. Uh, say thanks, shout you out uh, for being a loyal listener. That's the kind of guy that I am. All right, when we get back here on the Hoffman Show, I'm also the kind of guy that occasionally does things that I'm not supposed to, like read comments on the internet, specifically on our YouTube channel. And that's where we go. Never read the comments. 5.30 on a Wednesday. That is next. It's off and showing the Team 980. Always live as well on the free Odyssey app. Coming up at 6 o'clock, Ben Standig of The Athletic joins the show. Talking Commanders. Poor Dave Johnson at 6.15. We'll get to never read the comments in just a moment. But, Anthony, is it just me or did the AC just kick on? Did it do the thing? Uh... I, I think your spidey senses are telling you it did the thing, and they are correct because it is cold. Yeah, it just got real cold. Yeah, I got you. All right. Uh, well, first, before we, we adjust the air conditioning, let's hit the fancy open. We tried to warn them. They didn't listen. Yeah! Every week, the Hoffman Show goes into the belly of the beast. We read those comments, baby. Never read the comments we do read the comments from youtube at craig hoffman at the team 980 at 1067 the fan every wednesday at 5 30 subscribe 
Uh, if you are streaming the show live on YouTube right now on the Team 980, or, of course, if you're watching this later on demand at Craig Hoffman, the button's right there. If you're listening to this live on the radio, we have a YouTube page at Craig Hoffman, at the Team 980. Either one, uh, you can find highlights of the show, and then you comment on them, and then every Wednesday we collect... The comments that we think are most worthwhile responding to. Not necessarily the best, not necessarily the worst, just ones that are thought-provoking. But I also respond to a ton of them actually on YouTube. But we pull the best and we talk about them here on the radio. And Anthony, we're going to start very big picture. Like the biggest of picture. Uh, This from Pierre De Silva 2156, uh, six days ago. So this this is admittedly before the Thanksgiving Day Massacre. However, uh... Craig, technically, you're probably right about our chances of a postseason, but nobody wants to even hear about our odds. We will watch week to week and enjoy whatever comes out of it. There will be some fruit of our devotion. It could be some record Sam Howell set or a cool addition to the team. I guess when you said the season is over for us, it struck a nerve, and I thought about what the commanders have in store. Well, the commanders don't even know, but I will be there. Not saying you're wrong. Just need to be a little diplomatic as to not dash our hopes even for little things. Um, I I don't know what to tell you if you got, and obviously this was before the Dallas game, but if you still have hope for playoffs, I admire your optimism. I admire your ability to say, hey, it might be a 2% chance or whatever, but it's 2%. I'm going to hold on. And I'm certainly not telling you, because this is something that I brought up in in response to this when I responded on YouTube, I'm certainly not telling you not to listen. I'm certainly not telling you not to watch the games. I'm certainly not telling you not to listen to the coverage. Ultimately, it's my job slash our jobs to make sure the coverage is still interesting. I can't help what happens on the field during the game. Uh, but I, we can talk about what it means. We can talk about what's next. We can talk about what went wrong. Like we'll find ways to be entertaining, or we'll make silly jokes and do funny bits, and you know, we'll make we'll make the hours of four to seven every single day as enjoyable as we can. But uh, me saying that there's no chances at the playoffs doesn't mean that you can't still enjoy the season or watch the games. Like, don't let don't let me relaying uh, mathematical. Uh, you know, mathematical formula outcomes, the chances that they make the playoffs are not good. Uh, ruin your fun. Like, people can still watch the games, Ant. I'm still going to watch the games because you never know what's going to happen. Football is fun. Sports are fun. But that doesn't mean the season's not over. Yeah, I mean, I still think there's some excitement to be had about this. Like, we still want to see what Sam does. For we sure. want to see, you know, if Terry can make some, you know, late season uh, plays where he, he can be an, uh, another pro bowler. Um, things of that, like we still want to watch just for the heck of it. Um, but I'm not going to not watch the games. Like, yeah, every like, Sunday is a new game. Like, I'm excited to watch the Dolphins as well. You know, granted, it comes at the expense of them putting yeah. up 40, 50 points on my team. But, you know, you, you they're have, excited to watch. It's the most any given Sunday league in the world. I mean, too. truly, like, you know. Obviously, anything can happen any given night in the NBA, but it, part of that is like the schedule and there's 82 games, whatever. Um, but really, you know, at the when the games are this regimented, um, when there's this much strategy involved, to still have this much randomness is kind of crazy. At the same time, like they've played it. We're not in. We're not in October anymore. Like we're damn near in December. So reality check. It is what it is. Um, 
and we can we can see what's left and then talk about what it means for the future. But I was like, oh, are you mad at me? I'm just, don't shoot the messenger. I'm just the messenger for the math and the reality. Uh, I thought this one was interesting. Um, plenty of, of comments on Overreaction Tuesday with Linnell yesterday and some of the other discussions that I had with Logan this week. We put Take Command clips up on the YouTube page as well. And I think there's kind of this overwhelming thought about some of the mental side of the game, of the sport, of the franchise. And um, Anthony, I meant to have you pull the J. Cole lyric here. Uh, but off to another world, 7434 says, don't save them. They don't want to be saved. And, I'm, and I really wish I had remembered to tell you to pull that J. Cole, don't save her. You know, yeah. If you know, you know. If not, then me singing didn't help you. Uh, the point is, uh, don't save them. They don't want to be saved. Speaking of the softness of some of the players on this squad, a leader should not ha- not change a successful style for one or two. Those one or two or even more need to either buy in or shut the heck up and move on when they get a chance. They're clearly poor followers. On the other hand, I wonder if this leak comes indirectly from Ron. Kime is the only reason I'm even considering this. We all know Ron. I don't know what Kime has to do with anything. Uh, we all know Ron said something to this effect a while ago. He ended up giving a written apology. We know Logan and Leno's complained. We do? Sure. I, off to another world. Seems to know a lot. Uh, we've heard Cosme question the play calling as it relates to running the ball more. That is true. I just think these players are so used to dysfunction that they themselves become dysfunctional. It is time for a reboot. The problem with that is it might take a while to sweep that toxic losing mindset out. I do believe some of the players on this team are okay with losing. Rookies come in and see that. Eventually, it does become a job. Job Code for I'm just here for the bag where winning is absolutely secondary. I think there are a lot of good points in this that are framed in a way that I hate. Um, I do not, as a rule question the motives and motivations and mindsets of people who are performing at the literal highest levels of a thing that we all would love to do if any of us could be playing in the nfl if we were talented enough to do it we would and and the thing about talented people is they have levels that they can work at that are just beyond what most people can sure there's natural gifts of athleticism and strength and speed and power but they then take those gifts and they they really work most of them extraordinarily hard to get to whatever level they're at. And they might work really hard and be, and I'll pick on Logan because Logan would be the first guy to tell you, Logan maximized every ounce of athletic ability he had to become a third string tight end in the NFL. Like, he's still better than 99.97% of every dude that's ever played tight end on the planet. Like, Logan was elite, but he was a, you know a blocking third string tight end who, if he had been like, I'll put it this way. And Logan, you know, can't get mad at me for this because he knows it's correct. If Logan had to be a every now and starting tight end, he wouldn't have been a very good one. Like that's just, he wasn't fast enough. He wasn't explosive enough. We were making talking about a play the other day. And it was like, you know, one person ran We were talking about a, a, a CO concept, a corner out. Um, and he's like, I always ran the out cause I wasn't fast enough to run the corner. Like that's the reality. Now, to be clear, Logan Paulson in his playing days was six foot five, 265 to 275 pounds, and ran a sub 540. He, by any stretch of the imagination that is not NFL athlete, is a physical freak. 
who was not big, fast, or strong enough to be a starting tight end in the NFL. Like, so when we're talking about this level of skill, this level of dedication, I do not like the, oh, it j- becomes just a job, loser mentality, this. I think it is on coaches and players to find ways to work together. They're all adults. And I think it's more on the coaches, especially as the league gets younger, than the players to adapt and get the most out of the talent because the talent is what shifts year to year. And, you know, it's it's up to them. There's only a limited number of guys who can, who can play at this level. By the same token, I also won't judge the end of seasons because, Anthony, I've been around locker rooms long enough. I did the reporter thing for long enough. By the end of the season, dude, like everybody knows. These guys know, see the standings. They know the score. Doesn't mean they're not trying hard on Sundays, but like they're human beings. There's going to be human nature and how people act and react to certain things when you've lost a bunch of games is not going to be everyone's best. And there's going to be people that disagree with how things are done. And when you're, when you're losing and you've lost a bunch, they might have some good points. Even if some of their individual play at times could have been a reason why you're losing. So it's just too multi, and this is like a, cr- a classic me take. I know, oh, it's gray area, it's nuanced, but it is. Like, there's a lot of different reasons why things have gone sideways and south for the commanders this season. And to try to pin it all on one thing or to say like, oh, it's a bunch of losers. Like, no, you could have a, a, a refreshed energy for a new coaching staff that comes in puts these players in better positions schematically, teaches them the details they need to do better, and a lot of these same players, I think, could be a part of a winning roster next year. We'll get more on that in just a second. It's the Hoffman Show. We're on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app. Uh, Taking a look at the comments. Never read the comments. They say we don't listen uh, here on a Wednesday. Jim McGee, 5583, says... I'm going to comment on the training camp schedule. I recall that his talking about Eric Bienemy here uh, in reaction to the discussion Linnell and I had yesterday. Uh, I'm going to comment on the training camp schedule. I recall that EB's new schedule showed them to be much more effective with their time. They ran twice as many plays. They got things done. Expectations were set. Results were not achieved, but we looked much better in the beginning of the season than we had looked in the past. I don't think there's any doubt that they are better this year offensively and that they got off to a better start offensively than they have in years past but comparing it to years past specifically the last three where scott turner led very mediocre to bad offenses is uh not really that much to be proud of like what are you actually bragging about um and i think there's also something to the wear and tear not the wear and tear but like the I think there's some guys that did, that weren't really ready for that, to be honest. And I think it hurt them. I think a guy like Jahan Dotson took some weeks to get his legs back underneath him. Um, that, that training camp was much harder than anything he had done. And, you know, he didn't prepare for that. He didn't understand what it meant to be prepared for that. And if he had to do it again next year, he'll be a lot more ready. And you just don't know what you don't know because that's part of being a young player in the NFL. Um I also think that for all those plays they ran, they never developed a consistent run game. So that seems to be an issue and um, how it's cropped up this year. Um, but yeah, like I like a lot of what they did. I like the long drive drills. I like I like a lot of that stuff. But at the end of the day, it hasn't worked. And I also wonder what kind of effect that had on the defense. 
because the defense did not start fast. Not only did they not start fast, they never had their midseason turn after they didn't start fast. So, you know, yes, offensively, they look better. I think Biennemi's way clearly works. I think, obviously, Biennemi's way can work because Biennemi's way is Andy Reid's way, and the Chiefs' defense has been sick this year. They've had a bunch of other good defenses in the past. Andy Reid's been to NFC and AFC Championship games on the regular in Philly and here, or Philly and uh, in KC. So, yeah, there's definitively a method there that works. But did it work for this team? Or is is that something that, like, okay, that wasn't the problem? Um, I think I'd probably lean towards that. Uh, and the, but I think there's other scheduling things that have maybe ticked players off, whether they've had an actual... Um, win or loss impact, I think, is a different story. Just because players are mad about something doesn't mean it's the reason that they lost. It just means they're losing, and oh, by the way, the players are mad. Um, speaking of training camp, Mr. BRD09, this is one of my favorite uh, chuckle comments of the week, Anthony. Uh, Mr. BRD09 says, how were they so, talking about the defense, how were they so far ahead of the offense, according to reporters watching camp? Anthony, when was training camp? Training camp was uh, late July, early August. What month is it now? We are days away from December, but late November. Is everything in the world the same as it was in late July, early August? No, it is not, sir. Mm. What year (laughs) in the system are they defensively? Four. Four. What year are they in the system offensively? Uno, one. Do I need to connect the dots, or do you think people will get it? I think people got it. Okay. Just, you know. I got to make sure. Yeah. Here for the people. Uh, at Oh, no. I scrolled down. Back to the comments. Here we go. All right. Uh, at PCC1901, uh, Hoffman's still holding on to the lie that he and everyone told themselves to begin the season. Coming in hot here. Uh, namely, there's, quote, lots of talent on the roster. You need minimum 3-0 line. Cosby and Stromberg seem okay. Leno is a high-end backup at this point. That's just factually incorrect. He's a average to below-average starter, um, which maybe you say high-end backup, but, like, whatever. Um, a whole new tight end room. Some speed at running back. You'll need a wide receiver. Three, you'll need several edge guys. Uh, I, a whole new linebacker room. Two corners, a new safety. Outside of defensive tackle and wide receiver, we have no solid starters. I think, I talked about this last week, but like we have jumped the shark on both underrating some of the talent that is here and understanding that you don't get to have a great player at every position. Like some positions you just need to have fine, solid starters. And I know this is going to break people's brains, but like I think Cody Barton or Jamin Davis could be a solid starter. I would like to have a stud at the other linebacker position. And I do think being under understaffed at linebacker has been a problem for the entirety of the Rivera era, in part because they've moved Jamin around a ton and asked him to do stuff that is not necessarily in his wheelhouse. But if you can go get a stud middle linebacker and put him with Jamin, Jamin can be better. Like, I think that's a really good room all of a sudden. Or if you get a stud weak side linebacker or Jamin develops next year into one in a be- in a different system, like Cody can be fine considering linebacker is a position that has been incredibly de-emphasized around the league because a lot of it is dependent on your D-line in front of you. 
yes, they need to go find a stud defensive end. They would have liked to keep Montez Sweat, not at that price, and the, the Bears offered a crazy draft pick for him. So you go use that draft pick on a much cheaper, almost as good as Montez Sweat, edge guy, and you're fine, or you spend a lot of money on a guy with more pass rush juice, a la Brian Burns from Carolina. Fine, you got to do that. Cam Curl's a good football player. Quan Martin, I still think, could be a good football player if you'd stop asking him to do 78, you know, 11 jobs. Like, just have the dude play safety or play nickel. Okay, well, there's there's one of those spots solved. Not to mention, like, Percy Butler's not a bad football player. He's been overexposed this year. But here's the thing that people like this commenter get so wrong. Players grow year over year. You're not the same player in 2024 as you are in 2023. And with better coaching, you can actually make a pretty significant jump if you have a great position coach. Because that guy can help clarify things for you mentally and allow your physical talent to shine. So a Derek Forrest, a Percy Butler can be a much better player. And hopefully they make less of some of the mistakes that they've made this year that have been some of the issues. Um, They also just could become better football players because they have another year of experience and you know, this is the same as anyone in any job. And this is, to, uh, I would also say, like, I would assume Biennemi is a better full-time play caller next year, here or elsewhere, because he's got a year of experience. And then an off-season to review his work and get incrementally better. Not that you'll be a totally different person. You don't go from, like, you know, the, the 40th best safety in the league to the first best safety. But could you go from 40th to 28th? Yeah, and if, you go, if, if your other guy, if you're Cam, and, you know, all of a sudden you go from 17th to 8th, well, if you go from, and I'm just making up these numbers, but if, if Percy's the 40th or Forrest is the 40th and you go from 40 to 28 and 17 to 8, all of a sudden that's a pretty good safety room. I think Emmanuel Forbes is probably going to be just fine. I have questions about certain matchups. I don't see what happens with A.J. Brown next year, but like by and large, I think Emmanuel Forbes is going to be just fine. So the idea that like you need a, a, a zillion new players that nobody's good just belies the fact that this is a young team that will improve. And if the goal is solid at a lot of these positions, I think they have guys that can do that. They do need a bunch of studs. It's my biggest gripe with Rivera's uh, player personnel. The best player on the team when he took over the team was either John or Terry. And the best player now is either John or Terry. And both those guys, by the way, are having probably the worst years of their careers. So how can you get better stud level players at some key positions, including edge. I would like a stud left tackle just because I think Leno's like, you can, you can pass with Leno. What happens if you excel at that position and get like a stud young tackle? What if you get a stud tight end in the second round? Like these are the kinds of things that I would like to see this team do. So I'm not endorsing the current roster as is. All I'm saying is If you think that there is no talent here, you've swung too far the other direction. You're just wrong, and you're especially wrong going into next year when some of the talent that's here now will be better because that's how young talent works. Uh, Speaking of, question uh, for Craig Logan. This was on uh, Take Command from Mark Harris, 1976. How does the staff uh, go to the players who are young for the most part and simplify without starting over? Uh, that kind of in conjunction with uh, Doug Wa- or Doug Weingar 01. Can't do much until the new head coach comes in and decides to run 3-4 or 4-3, right? In terms of 
changing the defense this year. You can do a lot of stuff different. And I'm going to I'm going to overcomplicate this on purpose so everybody hold on to your seats. The point is that it's complicated, right? The point here is that this is complicated. Let's say you're the nickel and the call initially is cover three. So if you're the nickel in a cover three, like a base regular cover three, draw it up on Madden zone, you are the hook player or the flat player, depending on which variation you're playing. You're probably actually the flat player um, in the in the four underneath defenders. So your job is to run out towards the flat. You're sp- you know if the running back goes out there, you got to make sure you make um, make that tackle. If there's any outbreaking routes towards that flat, you're, they're on you. Um, all that stuff, you're on top of it. But let's say if it's four by one, you automatically are checking to cover four. Okay, well, now I got a different responsibility. Or if it's empty, now we're playing man. Uh, okay, well, I got to remember that. Let's say uh, it's it's a match scheme, and if number two, so the wide receiver that's second in, uh, runs a seam route or runs, runs up the sideline uh, on a wheel, you've got to match that. Uh, so that's something else you have to remember. But that's only if... He lines up inside the numbers, whether it's in a stack or a bunch or just that's where he lines up. Uh, if, if he's in a, a wider uh, whatever or out inside whatever, seven yards, let's say. Let's make it really complicated. You don't even get a field marker. You got to kind of do the math. Um, if they line up in like a stack outside wide, you don't have to worry about that. Um, and again, these are all hypotheticals, but these are the kinds of things that they've asked them to do in this defense. And oh, by the way, you also have a run fit. And you have to make sure that, oh, God, that guy just went in motion. Which gap do I have again? Because I had the C gap, but now I have. It gets very complicated. So what Ron can do and will do is be like, we are running cover three. Uh, your run fit is you have the D gap and you are playing the flat. Go play. And that might not account for that wheel route up the sideline where you know, you, you have two players attacking one zone or whatever other route. I probably picked a bad example with a wheel route and cover cover three. But the point is, like, you might not have the perfect answer because you're not matching the route concepts. You're not doing some of the stuff that you would theoretically do. But what you are doing is making it easier to play fast and simplifying. And that's what they can do now. And I think that will get us a better evaluation on these players moving forward. And then it's up to the next staff to try to find the balance of complexity to have the best answers and simplicity to allow people to play fast. That is never read the comments for today. You can leave your comments at Craig Hoffman at the team 980 and at 1067, the fan on the full episodes of take command. We get back here on the Hoffman show. Ben Standig joins us talking GM candidates and the athletic just put out a mock draft. Yeah, we're doing it next. Hey, hey, hey. 